want to be baptized as a public declaration of my faithfulness to God. From a young age, I have always believed in Jesus, but it hasn't been up until this past year when I began to explain my faith and truly follow Jesus. I am living for God now. I don't want anything that is not of Him. Good morning, Grace. Uh, if you are new or newer around here, we would love to know that you're in the building or you're online. And the best way to do that is just text hello to the number that's on the screen right now. Or if you are online, there's a little button that you can click a link just to let us know you're there. There's also cards in the seat backs you can fill out if that's more convenient for you. And drop it off at the information counter. I only have one particular invitation for you this morning, and that is next Sunday is planting day. So that is when we put in the gajillion flowers that you see all summer long around the building and get everything uh, put in place. And uh, somebody's already come ahead of you and done all the weeding and prepping of the beds. So uh, you just got to come and help plant. But we would love to get uh, a big crowd here, 100 people or more to show up on planting day and uh, help us to get that done. It saves us a ton of money and it gives you a sense of pride when you walk in, you can say, I planted that flower every single Sunday. All right. Uh, we had lots going on. You can check it out on the website, um, gracewire.com. There's always more uh, going on than we can announce on Sunday morning. So whether you are um, single, married, young kids, uh, whatever the case, we have something for everyone. And that's the best way to figure it out. So uh, what a difference a year makes. Uh, that video that we just saw. Uh, is just some of the highlights of the last year. Uh, I'm very aware of how different it was standing here last year coming out of that uh, thing that shall go unnamed. Um, but Grace Church 
Uh, there were a lot of question marks. Uh, we just were really trying to uh, find our way to a new normal, but it's been a great year. Um, I think the, the one thing that stood out to me as I reflected on the year is uh, it was about this time last year where I was sort of imploring, for lack of a better word, all of you to get involved again. Something about the pandemic uh, created a volunteer crisis, not just at Grace, but really in, in nonprofits and churches around the country. And so we were having trouble uh, getting the children's taken care of. We were having trouble really, and the cafe wasn't even, we we're just trying to get that reopened. So uh, I just want to say thank you. You really have stepped up in... Uh, there's people right now who are cringing, thinking, well, don't say that, Doug, because then people won't volunteer. So we still need you if you're not volunteering, but it's no longer a crisis. And I think that is just a, a huge indicator of the health of the church. Um, I love the engagement on Sundays. Whenever we sell the journals, I hope you're enjoying the journals. I think they're great. Uh, we're going to do those with the next couple series that are coming up as well. Uh, but we sell about 500 of those almost immediately when we put them up there. So that just tells me that you're really engaged. And I love that. I love that you bring them. I love that you're taking notes. Um, and then the other thing that I just was thinking about in the last couple of days is we do that church survey that happens every few months. Um, and what we discover from the church survey is the vast majority of people at Grace attend the weekend service uh, three to four times a week, which is way above the national average. And I just love uh, that you are committed, that you're here. There is something that happens on Sunday morning that can't be replicated anywhere else. There's something that happens when we come together in worship, when we sit under the teaching of the pastors. It's just, there's, it's kind of a reorientation, maybe a finding of our true north. So I just wanna applaud you for uh, your faithfulness to that as well. Uh, the last thing I want to say before we get into Revelation chapter 20 is that this is the beginning next week of a new ministry year. And what comes with a new ministry year is the voting on the budget. So if you are a member, meaning that you've gone through the membership process, or if you have reaffirmed your membership uh, in the last few months via multiple emails that we have sent to you, then you can vote on the budget, and we encourage you to do that. Um, there are copies of the budget at the information counter. You can just go to the information counter and vote, but you can also vote online by clicking the link that we have sent to you a couple different times. Uh, but you can also ask us uh, questions before you vote. Voting closes Wednesday, the end of the month, uh, for our budget. So the best way to do that is just text us at askus at gracewire.com. I think I have a slide for that, but just ask us at gracewire.com. Uh, don't want you to vote if you have questions about the budget, but that's the best way to get your questions answered is just to ask us online and then we will be sure to get back with you in plenty of time so that you can vote. Um, what else do I need to tell you about that? A little bit about where we are financially. We're still 100% debt free. We should clap for that. Uh, probably, uh, I've been in leadership at Grace for 17, 18 years. We are, without a doubt, in the best financial position that we've been in, uh, in my whole 10-year being here at Grace, which is a testament to God's faithfulness coming out of what we've just come out of. So uh, we're in a good place. We have healthy cash reserves. Um, again, there's people cringing right now thinking, don't say that. Nobody's going to give. We still need you to give. 
Uh, we still need you to serve, but uh, we're in a good place. So vote on the budget if you are a member. If you're not sure if you're a member, just stop at the information counter and they can answer that question for you. Okay, let's talk about Revelation. Grab your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 20. We are in the home stretch. We got two more weeks of Revelation before we finish it up. Revelation chapter 20 is page 1040 in the Bibles under your seat, 76 in those journals that I was just talking about. Uh, we encourage you to bring your Bible, bring your journals, take notes. Even if you're at home, I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you, be reading along, taking some notes that will help you if you engage with the scriptures to remember what we're talking about. In these closing chapters, we have this uh, vivid portrait of uh, the, the climactic moment. It's the fat, final battle between good and evil. If you're a, a movie fan, this is what we love most about the best movies that are out there when, when the, the two evil forces finally collide and, and ev good wins and evil is destroyed. Uh, that's where we're at right now. So we're up to this point in Revelation. The beast, which we've talked about, has been defeated. The false prophet, which we've talked about, has been defeated. And as Wayne brilliantly talked about last week, Babylon has fallen. But there is still one adversary yet to be defeated, and that is the red dragon, Satan. So as I read chapter 20, I want to encourage you to pay attention to how powerless Satan really is. I think sometimes, yeah, amen. Sometimes I think we give Satan way too much power, way too much credit, but I just want you to pay attention to how powerless Satan really is. And in the end, what I'm about to read, there really is no great battle, right? There, there's no big battle scene that defeats Satan. What I want you to see this morning is that the battle really belongs to God and the scriptures tell us it's not by our personal strength, it's not by our ingenuity, it's not by our intelligence, it's not by our hard work uh, that, that the powers of Satan are defeated, but by the power of the Spirit of God. So why don't you stand with me, and I'm going to read Revelation, the entire chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and he threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those with whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when a thousand years had ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations 
that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they march up over the broad plains of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found or written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Lord, even reading that chapter, there is a tendency to let fear seize us. We read about lakes of fire and eternal torment. Lord, I pray this morning that fear would not rule the day, that perfect love would cast out that fear, that, that we would know as the people of God, if we have put our faith in Jesus as your word says, we are spared from the second death. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for passages like this that are hard but true. I pray in these next few minutes that you would give us ears to hear exactly what you want us to hear, that you would speak a word to us through your Holy Spirit, that that word would land in fertile soil, that the seed would germinate, that it would grow, and that it would bear fruit a thousandfold. Our prayer every Sunday is that we would leave this room, leave this broadcast different than we came, because we have encountered you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a seat. One of the resources that I've been using uh, to prepare for this series, uh, as I picked it up early in the week, uh, this is what I read about verse 2 of chapter 20. This is easily the best known portion of the book, as well as the most divisive passage in the Bible. That's a very reassuring thing to read as a pastor as you're going into the week of, of study. This is the most divisive passage in the Bible. Now, I don't know if it's the most divisive, but what I do know is it's been dividing the church really since the first century. There has been rumblings and division over what exactly is this chapter saying. And I would say to you, like, there is no way that we can know for certain everything that this chapter means. Right? But I can also tell you that there really is no reason for the division that has existed over the last 2,000 years. How you view the thousand year reign, the millennium, how you view it 
doesn't change, listen to me, church, in any way what's required of you today. Right? Whether you, no matter where you land, it doesn't change the application of chapter 20. Before I tackle this uh, controversial chapter and solve all of your questions, not, um, I just want you to see uh, what a rigid view, follow me here, this is what a rigid view of the mysteries of prophecies have created over the last thousands of years. Imagine living in the the last century before the the birth of Jesus, and you are a a Bible scholar. You're somebody who is studying the Word of God, who who is spending time in the Torah, who is reading the prophecies about the coming Messiah, and and you want to know, what does the Bible say? What does it say to me? How am I to prepare myself for this coming Messiah? And you read and meditate on the following prophecy. This is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from the time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Or you read Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal and a donkey. Now, we read these passages and have an understanding of them because we have history that gives light to what exactly they mean. But as a scholar in those centuries prior to the coming of Jesus, you're mining for the meaning, right? You're reading those prophecies and you're asking yourself, what exactly are they saying? And as you read them, you would envision naturally an earthly reign. Right, you would, you would naturally envision that, that as you read the Torah that, that this Messiah is going to come and that he's going to overthrow whatever oppressive governmental empire system that exists at the time. And if you're in the last century before Jesus returned, it would have been the Roman Empire. You would have known in your mind's eye the Messiah is coming, he's going to overthrow Rome, and he is going to sit on David's throne. Why would you think that? Because that's almost verbatim what we just read. So you determine in your mind's eye what the prophecy is going to look like. The problem is, when the Messiah comes, it doesn't happen the way you envisioned it would happen. Right? It became ingrained in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel exactly what the Messiah was going to do because they read the passages and had a rigid application to what they mean. This has been the stumbling block for the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years. How can the Messiah, who fulfills all of these prophecies of being a king, be crucified by the Roman government? 
And here's the application. Here's the warning for all of us. When expectations and reality, when expectations and reality do not align, there is often a crisis of faith. Think about it. Even the disciples who hung out with Jesus, who, who traveled with Jesus, who, who, who literally was with him 24-7 for three years almost, like a, apart from a few short episodes where they were apart, they were with Jesus. Even the disciples expected Jesus to do life a certain way, and when Jesus didn't actually do what they thought he was going to do, they had a crisis of faith. Peter actually went back to being a fisherman. He threw in the towel of ministry because Jesus didn't fill his expectations. When expectations and reality don't align, there is a crisis of faith. This is... This is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. You know what the prosperity gospel is? It basically says, if you say yes to Jesus, your problems are going to go away. If you say yes to Jesus, you're going to have more stuff and you're going to get rich and God's going to bless you and good things are going to happen to you. So you have this expectation. If I say yes to Jesus, everything gets better. But Jesus actually said, in this world, you're going to have some trouble. But he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. So if your expectation is you say yes to Jesus and life is going to be hunky-dory, when life isn't hunky-dory, you have a crisis of faith. Why am I saying all this? Because when we read Revelation, we have to be careful not to paint a picture in our minds of exactly how all this is going to unfold because when the time comes and it does unfold, like the people in Jesus' day, we may miss the very thing that Jesus is doing. When expectations and reality do not align, we have a crisis of faith. Okay. The debate rages about the thousand-year reign. For one thing, I just want to tell you, this is it. This is the only place it's found in Scripture, in, in chapter 20. But the debate is, what is a thousand years? Is it literally a thousand years or is a thousand years like many of the numbers in Revelation just representing uh, a long period of time? When does the thousand years actually start? There are some who believe it starts when, when Jesus comes the second time, then there'll be a thousand year reign. Some believe that, it, that it's already started. When Jesus ascended, it began the thousand year reign. Some believe that the, that the thousand year reign is going to start at some point and then a thousand years later, Jesus is going to come for the second time. And the interesting thing is if you take a scholarly look at, at those three different perspectives, you can sort of build a case for all of them and you can debunk, if you will, or find reasons to question all of them. When it comes to chapter 20, in the thousand-year reign, I propose to you that we are asking the wrong question. The right question is, what is clear in chapter 20? Like, what is crystal clear? What is absolutely crystal clear in chapter 20? And in light of what is clear, the second question is, how are we to respond? What is required of us today? So what's clear from chapter 20? 
Chapter 20 is telling us that there will be a complete fulfillment, a final consummation of the very prophecies that I just read a few minutes ago. The kingdom of heaven comes and merges with this world. The sacred and the secular are are finally one. And the throne, it says, descends from heaven. Jesus is sitting on the throne. And the passage says, on the throne of David over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Finally, this prophecy of Isaiah has come to full fruition. I've titled the sermon today, It's All About the Rain. Because what matters in chapter 20, what matters in Revelation, and Revelation is saying this over and over and over, is that it's all about the rain. The word rain, it means royal authority. It means sovereignty. It means dominion. It means to have sway over, to have influence over. And here's the the truth. Jesus is the king. But the question Revelation is asking is not, is he the king? But the question it's asking, is Jesus your king? And it's easy for us in church to just say, well, of course he is. But the question is, does he have authority in your life? Does he have sovereign rule in your life? Does his way sway and influence every decision you make? Because it's all about the rain. Do you go your own way? Do you do your own thing? Is there willful disobedience in your life? Do the people that know you best, would they describe you by the fruits of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled. This chapter is saying to us that Jesus reigns and rules over all creation. That Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he will establish his throne right here on earth. And he will be with his people. And he will be our light. And he will be our very life. And the truth is the exact timing or the sequence of events are unclear. But I think that's by design because we are called to live this life by faith. Right? And if it was crystal clear, we would make silly decisions. So we don't know exactly when and we don't know exactly how. But we live this life by faith. So what's crystal clear? Jesus reigns. And the one thing that matters is where you are standing when Jesus returns. Are you with Jesus or are you opposed to Jesus? I want to read a little bit of the chapter because what it's telling us is that the time is coming when the forces of evil and all of those who align with the forces of evil are going to be expelled. Verses one and two, I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand key to the bottomless pit, a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was a devil Satan, bound him 
for a thousand years. This is one of those places where we see just how powerless Satan really is. God didn't even have to do it. He just sent one of his angels to take Satan captive, to bind him in chains and to lock him away for a long, long time. Look at verse 7. The end of the thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out, deceive the nations that are from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. That Gog and Magog is just a reference to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And it's just this picture that uh, every first century reader would have known where, where basically all of the forces of evil, all of those who align with Satan, all being the key word, are all going to come out at the same time from the four corners of the earth to oppose the people of God. It says to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea and they march over the broad plain of the earth surrounding the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And if you stop there, it can muster up a ton of fear. Like this is, a, this is a scary moment. All of the evil in the world joining together to march against the people of God. But the passage tells us fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and his false prophets were and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan gathers his followers. Now I want you to keep in mind that these are the same people or some of the same people who have experienced the thousand year reign. Somehow they have been in a place where they have, they have experienced the peace and prosperity that comes when Satan is locked up and there's a thousand years of, uh, of something very different going on and, and they've experienced all of that and Satan is released and in just a moment's time he calls all of those people who in that thousand years never gave themselves to Jesus, never surrendered to Jesus. God intervenes when the nations rise against the people. God fights the battle and God wins the war. I think it's fascinating when you read this, the saints, the martyrs, they're barely mentioned. They're mere spectators to the grand battle. Evil is defeated and a new heaven and a new earth are, have come and they come in all of their fullness. And what I want you to see from the text and what I would love for you to take away from Revelation is that heaven comes to earth. Earth, this planet, this cosmos, the very thing that is around us, it is redeemed. Revelation is about the kingdom coming to us. And I think so many of us read the Bible and especially read Revelation like it's some kind of travel brochure. Like someday I'm going to get to go to that place, right? But it's really not a travel brochure. It's more of a, a master architectural plan, if you will, right? It's a description of, of what God is going to do here and on this earth, what it's going to look like after the demolition and the reconstruction is completed, Jesus didn't teach us to pray, let me go to the kingdom. No, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come. We sang it today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Your kingdom come more and more in my own life. Your kingdom come in this church. Your kingdom come into my family. Your kingdom come into my neighborhood. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We read in chapter 20 that the kingdom comes. That it will come in full And here's the interesting thing. Even the people who have passed away, your friends, your family who passed away knowing Jesus, and Jesus said to the thief on the cross, remember what he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All those who are with Jesus in paradise are longing for the day when the master plan comes to completion and there is a new heaven and a new earth. We are not working to escape this world We're working alongside Jesus to redeem it and to reconcile all things to him. Amen. So if you know the kingdom is coming and it's coming in its fullness, what are we to do? And the simple answer is stand with the king. As I've said, it's all about the reign. Revelation is written to the persecuted church in every generation. Revelation is written to every follower of Jesus who has experienced pain or loss or difficulties or heartaches. It's a call to persevere. It's a call to hold tight to Jesus no matter what happens in life. Revelation 13 says of this letter, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is why Revelation was written, so that we would endure and have faith amidst all of our circumstances. The letter is all about the battle of two kingdoms, or as Wayne, again, brilliantly last week, if you didn't hear last week, you need to listen to it, you need to get it, you need to go online brilliant sermon about the two empires, the empire of this world and the empire of God. And the question Revelation is asking is, which empire are you aligned with? Which empire holds your allegiance? There's some pretty amazing promises in the opening chapters of Revelation. Revelations 2, 25 and 26 says, hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over nations. It's not only about who reigns, but who gets to reign with Jesus in eternity. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming to the whole world. talking about chapter 20, what we just read, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will seize your crown. You wouldn't have a crown unless you were royalty. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are royalty. Don't let anyone, including yourself, take or forfeit that crown. Revelation 3.21 the one who conquers, the one who's steadfast, the one who holds true, I will give him to sit with me on my throne 
as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It's all about the reign and who's going to reign with him. If you've said yes to Jesus, you have the opportunity to reign and rule with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Last weekend, Meg and I had the opportunity to hang out with 40 or so leaders from Grace at something we call High Adventure Camp. They can throw some pictures up there so you can see uh, us running around doing crazy things. But uh, the idea of High Adventure Camp is it gives us an opportunity to kind of be stretched and challenged and hopefully grow in our capacity to love God and to love people. And the question I ask everyone at camp is what does it look like to live the royal way? As a follower of Jesus, you are royalty, but the question is, do you live like it? James 2.8 says, if you really, earnestly, honestly keep the royal way or the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right, you're doing good. It's all about the rain. So what I want to do is I just want to close with some questions for you to ponder. What kingdom or kingdoms have you attached yourself to? Where's your deepest allegiance? Who gets the majority of your heart, of your time? of your dedication. What occupies your thoughts more than anything else? What keeps you up at night? Lord, I thank you for this incredible chapter that clarifies for us that you reign and you will reign, that your kingdom is coming. I'm excited about teaching about the new heaven and the new earth. But Lord, help us to be faithful in the meantime. Help us to hold fast. Help us to be true. Help us to move through the questions this morning, not too fastly. To really ask the question, who reigns and rules? Where does our allegiance lie? Or would you show us our idols? We all have them. Show us our idols. Help us to hold fast to you. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The group that prayed for you this morning, that there are some in the room who are having marriage trouble or online, we would love to pray for you. Uh, There's someone here in the room for the first time, and they need uh, wholeness and restoration in their family. We would love to pray over you for that. Peace in the midst of turmoil. Uh, Pain in the right foot. I just want to share with you guys something. More often than not, whatever the ailment is, I have it. So my foot, so if you guys would stop hurting, maybe I would stop hurting. So sometimes like hip, I'm like, my hip has been hurting all week. My foot has been hurting all week. So 
<laughs> anyway, I'm sure, what, I'm sure what all that means, but if you'd cut it out, that'd be nice. Uh, resist the voices that you're listening to. Let go of the baggage that you're carrying and the love of God and the healing and for life. Uh, we just want to pray for you. If you have a physical need, spiritual need, a little bit of both, uh, you can call the numbers that are on your screen. You can come down front. Um, there's people who are trained to be with you and pray for you. God bless you. Have a great uh, holiday weekend. Show me how to hold